turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
16.61 And a godly man was cast into prison because he was preaching the gospel of Jesus in a Baptist church in England. John Bunyan, after being cast into prison for 12 years, would stand at the bottom of one small window, too high for him to see out. He would stand there every Sunday morning and he would preach the gospel. And outside of that barred window would stand the faithful to hear their pastor preach the gospel of Jesus. Whatever the weather was, they would stand and they would listen carefully with weeping to the gospel as John Bunyan preached it to them. Now, why was he in prison? Because of corrupt leadership, corrupt government officials, and laws that were unjust. Well, how did that happen? Because the leadership, the political leadership was corrupt. Today is an election day. It is of absolute essence that you go and vote and vote for righteous godly men and women vote for men and women that you have patiently looked at their records example Tim Kaine is an utterly corrupt man as far as I'm concerned all the evidence that I see says that he is not a real Christian I won't vote for him for a senator in Virginia. I won't vote for a corrupt man. So it's important that you choose carefully and that you vote according to your conscience before the Holy Spirit and vote for righteous men and women. Anything you want to add to this? Yes, if you weren't planning on voting today, as long as you're registered to vote, please get out to the polls. Many of them are open late, 7, 7.30 p.m. If you're not sure who's on the ballot, you can find out before you go to the poll. If you live in Maryland, you can go to elections.maryland.gov. That's elections.maryland.gov. Put in the address at which you're registered to vote, and it will show you everyone who's on the ballot. Likewise, if you live in Virginia, you can go to virginia.elections.gov. That's virginia.elections.gov, and you will there be able to see who's on the ballot. This is a very important election, especially for Virginia. There is a seat open on the Senate and a seat open on the House, as well as two proposed constitutional amendments. And if you live in Prince William County, the chair of the school board is also being voted for today. You'll recall that some time ago we did an interview with Corey Stewart. Corey Stewart is currently the governor of Prince William County. We interviewed him, Pastor Ray interviewed him while Corey Stewart was running for governor of Virginia. He is now running for the Senate, and we highly encourage you to vote for Corey Stewart. He is a Christian man. He has said that he, if he were elected governor of Virginia, that he would not have one penny of the state budget go to abortion. He very much stands for Christian 
values. I also very much appreciate his desire for integrity, as there was all the storm about the Kavanaugh nomination. Corey Stewart rightly pointed out that 16 to 17 million of your taxpayer dollars has been used. There was a fund set up for this purpose under the Clinton administration. 16 to 17 million of your taxpayer dollars has been used to hush up the sexual assault crimes of our congressmen and women. Corey Stewart has said that if he is elected for senator, that he will release the names of those people whose crimes have been hushed up because he believes that there should be an openness that we as citizens and voters should know what our elected representatives are really doing. So I very much appreciate Corey Stewart's uh, passion, his stand for righteousness. I encourage you to vote for him if you live in the state of Virginia for Senate. And I, we also encourage you to go and, as we said, look up who's on the ballot, do some research before you go to the polls. It's not too late. Even just 20 or 30 minutes of research on the internet should give you at least some informed idea before you go to the poll. I'd also like to share briefly on this subject of voting. Charles Finney, the great revivalist, we've shared much of his work. He saw over 200,000 people come to Jesus throughout his ministry. He was an American revivalist. He started Oberlin College. He was the first president of Oberlin College. He didn't directly start it. He had this to say about voting. This comes from his sermon called Hindrances to Revival. That's Hindrances to Revival. You can find it in his book, Lectures on Revivals of Religion. He says that if the church doesn't take right ground in regard to politics, that it will be a hindrance to revival. In other words, God will not send revival if Christians aren't taking right ground in regard to politics. By right ground, he means that we are consistent in our votes with our faith, that we are voting for righteous men and women. He says... The time has come that Christians must vote for honest men and women and take consistent ground in politics. They must let the world see that the church will uphold no man in office who was known to be a thief, an adulterer, a gambler, or a drunkard. Such is the spread of information in our country that every person can know for whom everybody else has voted. And if you will give your vote only for honest men and women, the country will be obliged to have upright rulers. In other words, about 70% of Americans today still identify as Christians. If we who identify as Christians would simply refuse to vote for anyone who's not an upright person of integrity, then that, mean that, that means that all parties... Democrats, Republicans, Libertarians, Constitutionalists, the Green Party. It means that all parties would be compelled to put up honest men and women as candidates. Finney continues, Christians have been exceedingly guilty in this matter, but the time has come when they must act differently. As on the subject of slavery, so on this subject the church must act rightly or the country will be ruined. 
God cannot sustain this free and blessed country, which we love and pray for, unless the church, that is Christians, will take right ground. Politics are a part of religion in a country such as ours, and Christians must do their duty to the country as part of their duty to God. That's because we live in a country in which our government is elected by the people. It seems sometimes as if the foundations of the nation are becoming rotten, and Christians seem to act as if they think God does not see what they do in politics. But I tell you that God does see it, and he will bless or curse this nation according to the course that we take. Let's pray. Almighty God, we are in a great crisis in America that if godly leaders are not appointed, we will see such destruction in this nation. We will see our borders overrun. We will see every unclean thing rise up. Lord, we will see babies dying in abortion clinics if righteous men and women are not appointed to the Supreme Court and to the legislative halls of our nation. Lord, I plead today that you would move in the conscience of men and women that they would vote, and they would vote for righteous men and women. They would vote for men and women who will stand for the unborn, men and women who will stand against same-sex marriage, men and women who will stand against drugs and alcohol, men and women who will take a moral stand, who will not lie, who will have integrity. Lord, would you establish once more righteousness in this land? Lord, thank you. We pray your blessing upon America. In the name of Jesus, amen. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. We're Ray and Alexandra Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. Thank you for joining us today. We are once more walking through the book, Pilgrim's Progress. It is the number one seller next to the Bible, historically. It has such a rich treasure in the story. And then we're going to share also a few pages of a wonderful sermon by Catherine Booth. Catherine Booth lived from 1829 to 1890. This sermon was probably published sometime around 1988. It was shortly before her death. Yesterday we spoke to you about Pilgrim or Christian coming to an end of himself, recognizing a great burden on his back as he read the scriptures, very troubled, very awakened, searching to see where the answer might lie. He wanted to be free of the burden of his sin. He could no longer tolerate it. He couldn't stand another hour of this heavy burden of his conscience resting upon him as the Holy Spirit quickened him and gave him direction for where freedom would be found. 
So Evangelist comes to him and he said, Do you see the distant shining light? I think I do, the man answered. The evangelist said, Keep that light in your eye and go up directly toward it, and soon you will see the narrow gate. When you finally come to the gate, knock, and you will be told what to do. So I saw in my dream that the man began to run. He'd not run very far from his home when his wife and children, realizing what was happening, cried out after him to return. But the man put his fingers in his ears and ran on crying, Life! Life! Eternal life! So without looking back, he fled toward the middle of the valley. The neighbors also came out to see what was going on, and when they saw who it was that was running, some mocked him. Others yelled out threats, and some cried after the man to return, among those two who decided to bring him back by force. The name of the one was obstinate. The name of the other was pliable. Now, by this time, the man was a good distance away, but obstinate and pliable were determined to pursue him, which they did. Soon they caught up with him, and he asked them, Why have you run after me? And the neighbors answered, To persuade you to go back with us. But that's not possible, the man replied. You, you live in the city of destruction, the place where I was born, and I believe that if you stay in that city, you will die sooner or later, and then you will sink lower than the grave into the place that burns with fire and brimstone. Please consider good neighbors coming along with me. What? said Obstinate. And leave our friends and comforts behind us? Yes, said the fleeing man Christian, because all that you leave behind is not worthy to be compared with even a little of what I'm seeking to enjoy. And if you will come along with me and not give up, we will both be blessed with treasure to spare beyond anything we can imagine. Come along with me and see if what I'm telling you is not true. What are you looking for, Obstinate replied. What's so valuable that you would turn your back on all of the world to find it? I'm looking, Christian explained, for an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven. It's kept safe there to give at the appointed time to those who diligently seek it. You can read about it in my book. Nonsense, said Obstinate. Away with your book. Will you come back with us or not? No, said Christian. I've laid my hand to the plow and cannot look back. I've started this journey, and I must finish it. Come on, pliable, Obstinate urged his companion. Let's turn around and go home without him. There's a group of these mixed-up lunatics who get a crazy idea in their head. They're wiser in their own eyes than seven men who can render a reason. Then Pliable said, No, wait, wait, don't be so harsh. If what good Christian says is true, the things he's looking for are better than anything we have. I feel like I should go along with my neighbor. What? More fools still? Do what I say and go back. Who knows where this lunatic will lead you? Go back, go back and be wise. Well, don't listen to him, Christian urged. Come with me, pliable. 
there are things to be gained such as I was telling you about and many more glories besides. If you don't believe me, read about it in this book. And as far as the trustworthiness of this book goes, it's all confirmed by the blood of him who made it. Well, neighbor obstinate, said Pliable, I've come to a decision. I have decided to go along with Christian and to cast my lot with him. Pliable thought for a second and then turned to Christian and asked, But do you know the way to the desired place? I was given directions by the man. His name was Evangelist, Christian said. He told me to go as quickly as I could to the little gate that's just up ahead, and once there we will receive instructions about the way before us. Well, come then, good neighbor, Pliable replied. Let's be going. Then they went on together. And I will go back to my home, said Obstinate. I will not be a companion of such misled fanatical fellows. Now I saw in my dream, after Obstinate returned to the city of destruction, that Christian and Pliable began to talk as they walked together through the middle of the valley. And thus they began to converse. Well, we have three very clear kinds of people. We have one who is saying, I am going to go according to the word of God. And whatever the cost, it will be a small cost compared to what I'm going to gain. This man, Christian, wanted to go all the way with Jesus. And he began the journey to do that. He still had the burden of sin on his back. Later in the story, we'll find where that burden was cut away and he walked without sin from that point forward. But at this point, he's still carrying a heavy burden of sin. But he's headed in the right direction. Obstinate, on the other hand, he's indifferent to heavenly things. He's not interested. While Pliable is interested, but we'll find out later whether or not he will pay the price. So we're going to share with you now a portion of a sermon by Catherine Booth where she talks about what is this indifference? What is this indifference that obstinate is so caught in? Indifference is really a rather mild word for obstinate's behavior. We might say more accurately that he's opposed and hostile to the very idea of following Jesus. But this, in, this attitude is sometimes manifested as indifference in the church. Catherine Booth dealt with this a lot in her time, and we've dealt with it a lot in our time, which is why we're sharing it. So this comes from a sermon by Catherine Booth. She writes, Indifference is often a state of mind of people who intellectually believe in God and in divine revelation. These are the people who will say, yes, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he was crucified for my sins, and I believe he was raised from the dead on the third day. But what's remarkable is that any person with a mind, a conscience, and a soul can remain indifferent 
after he has once heard or once professed to believe that there is a God, an eternity, a heaven, and a hell, and that he is a candidate for one or the other. Nothing can explain this mystery except that the God of this world has blinded his mind. If people were to be told half as much with respect to the danger of their bodies, as they often hear in one sermon about the danger of their souls, you would never be able to make them indifferent anymore until they had done something to improve their temporal condition. You can convince a man or a woman that they're out of health, show them the importance of going to a doctor, getting a cure, and if they're sane, they will never rest again until they've done what they think is most likely to cure them. But this isn't the case with people's souls. And how can this be when the interests at stake are so much greater? How do you account for it? You get the people to a service, they're a little bit aroused, but the first great anxiety of the devil is to get them to go to sleep again. He says, I must not let that man hear such truth any more, and he finds something to attract his attention as soon as he gets outside. The seed is sown, but the birds come and snatch it away before it has time to take root. The great effort of the devil is to keep people indifferent. In other words, to keep people from acting on the word of God that they hear. And the devil, the devil dreads nothing so much as preaching that awakens and arouses. Or other methods besides preaching that likewise awaken and alarm sinners. If only the church understood this. If only Christians understood it. It seems to me sometimes that instead of understanding it, they appear to be partners with the devil in trying to keep people asleep. They shrink away from any direct, personal, earnest, and thorough dealing with souls that would be likely to awaken them to a sense of their danger. This often looks like you say, okay, I am going to talk to this person about Jesus, but instead of just coming out and being straightforward, you beat around the bush, you maybe talk about the church or Christianity in general, but you never actually just talk to that person about their character, about things that you know about their character, about sin that you know that's in their life, and about what it means for them to follow Jesus. Catherine Booth says that if we do this, it's because we don't recognize the facts, and that Satan has gotten men and women fast asleep in sin, and that it's his great device to keep them asleep. Satan does not care what we do if he can keep them asleep. We may sing songs about the sweet by and by, preach sermons, say prayers, play the organ until doomsday, and Satan will never concern himself about us if we don't wake anybody up. But if we wake up anybody, he will attack us with his teeth. He will gnash us. This is our work, to wake people up. That is your responsibility as a Christian. If that man 
with who your coming in contact dies and is damned in his sleep, and you never win in the common sense, reasonable way to wake him up, God will demand his soul of you. That comes from the book of Ezekiel. Wake him up. Wake him up. Remember, sinners are indifferent. So let's look at one or two causes of this indifference. I say continually, how is it that we cannot get people to wake up? Can't get them to realize the truth and the importance of spiritual things. How can they be indifferent? The first reason is that they are in ignorance of their danger. They're like a person walking asleep by the side of a cliff. They don't see their danger. They don't understand the dire, devilish, damning character of sin. They don't think sin is bad, or at least not bad enough to send them to hell forever. They don't realize the consequences of sin. They're in darkness and ignorance on the whole question. Now what we want to do is to enlighten them, to make them face the great problems of existence, life, death, judgment, eternity, heaven and hell. Give them light, because they are in ignorance. And many are in willful ignorance. There are some of you listening to this broadcast. You do not need to be ignorant. Some of you had a Christian mother or a father who did their best to enlighten you before you grew up. Some of you have sat in church, under gospel ministries, in meetings, where there has been both light and power, and yet you remain willfully ignorant. God has taken endless trouble with some of you. He has knocked you about to try to wake you up, but you wouldn't wake up. He's got your head around sometimes and made you face the problems of the future, but as quick as ever you could, you turned it back the other way. You would not look. You are willfully ignorant. But be careful. This won't make damnation any easier. You will wake up by and by never to go to sleep again. If once you get to hell, there is no sleeping there. Indifference is the last thing that will ever visit that dark black place. You can shut your eyes now. You can shut your eyes against the glorious Son of Righteousness himself. You can turn your head the other way and refuse to see. But once you wake up for the last time, you will never go to sleep anymore. May God wake you up now. Awake, thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead. You can do it, or God would not tell you to do it. It's your work to arise. God will make you stand and keep you standing once you're up. Arise from the dead and Christ shall give thee light. Will you wake up now? Will you face reality? Will you let the light of the eternal world come streaming on your spiritual eyes? Will you look? If you will only look, you will be saved. If you go to sleep again, Christ himself cannot save you. May the Lord help you to wake up. Another cause of this indifference is being preoccupied with other things. Your mind is preoccupied. 
a lady said to me, How have you managed to get your children converted so early? Oh, I said, I have been beforehand with the devil. I have not allowed my children to become preoccupied with the things of the world before I got the seed of the kingdom well in them. I have taken time by the forelock and cheated his satanic majesty out of his opportunities. And now he can only grin and abide the consequences. May the Lord help you to be beforehand with the devil with your children. You have a baby. Don't be afraid of beginning too soon. If you give the enemy an inch, he will take a yard. So get ahead of him. The reason why the great number of people remain indifferent is that they are preoccupied in the race for riches, for education, for lifestyle, for position, career, and there will be more souls lost through striving after position among decent people than through all other sins put together and all other ambitions put together. They say, we're going to make it up in this world even if we go down in the next. And some of them do get up in the world, and the higher they get up, the deeper they fall. May the Lord have mercy upon people who are selling their souls and the souls of their wives and children for position. I said to a gentleman at St. John's Wood once, Have you settled this matter? He said, almost grinning in my face with vexation, No, I haven't. The fact is, I don't have any time to think about religion. He was very much annoyed that he'd been made to think about it for three quarters of an hour. I said, you have to find time one day. How will you manage that? Death won't ask for your permission. Don't you think it would be wise to find some time to prepare for it? Preoccupied. Full of other things. People tell us in our anxious meetings, I'm so busy, or I am doing this, or I'm doing that. I just don't have time. And while they're running here and there, the reckoning day comes and death overtakes them with bronchitis, fever, cancer, an accident, and they're gone. They never thought that they would be damned. They never intended to be damned. Not them, not with all their light and opportunities, but they were preoccupied. They did not see where they were going. Satan took care to keep them too busy to look at God and death and judgment and eternity in the face. We read that there are something like 350 people killed in the streets of London every year. And how were they killed? Because they're preoccupied. There's one gentleman walking to his office, and his mind, his thoughts are running ahead of him, and he's not thinking about the bus close by. He's wondering whether his ship has come in, or how he's going to make the cargo. He's thinking of a scheme, and he forgets that he's in the middle of danger when on comes the bus, and down he goes, and he's killed. And why was he killed? because he was preoccupied. That preoccupation led to his destruction. This is such an illustration of people on the platform of time. 
The devil never lets his people be awakened if he can help it. He never puts them on a sickbed so that they'll have time to think about eternity. He will keep you going and never give you one place to stop or one hour to look back and think about God or your soul or eternity, but he'll keep you rushing on and busy forever. The other morning as I went through the city, I said to a friend who was with me, look at the men streaming along, look at how they go, how energetic they are, how intent you can see what is going on in many of their minds. I said, if we could only get people as much concerned about God, about eternity and the salvation of the world, as these men are about their earthly affairs and business, Think about what would happen. If you were to speak to them about eternity, they would think it out of place or rude that you should dare to push religion on them at such an inconvenient time when they're so full of other things. And on they go, and scarcely a week passes, but we find out that suddenly one of them has gone into eternity. The day dawned on them most unexpectedly, perhaps in the height of their prosperity, when God said, You fool, this night your soul is required of you. Let me try to show you the folly of this state of indifference. It would be very foolish to expose yourself to any great temporal loss or suffering if by a little thought ahead of time and consideration you could avoid it. Suppose you had a horrible disease, and if you were to be careful and use the right means, then your life could be saved. But instead, when your friends warn you and advise you to seek medical help, you say, I don't care about my lungs or my liver. I have to look at these books. I need to get to my business. I can't stop what I'm doing to think about my body and you were to go on indifferent to the consequences. That would be foolish. Your friends would say that you were crazy, and truly you would prove yourself to be crazy. You say, well, nobody is that foolish. No, perhaps not in temporal things, but look at the thousands of fools spiritually. How the devil laughs at such people. What chuckling they have over them down below. My dear friend, will you stop? Will you give your soul a chance? Will you make a bit of time to think about your deathbed and the judgment bar? Will you stop in your chase after money, position, career, education, pleasure? Will you pull yourself up as a rational being should and face and look at God and eternity Honestly, will you? Would to God that I could make you. Would to God that I could come to you and put my arms around you and entreat you with tears and prayers to stop and think. If you will only stop and think, you will be saved. It is not in human nature to go into hell without the full realization of the danger. If you will not think now, remember that you will have to spend eternity thinking. How wicked in the sight of the angels, in all holy beings, to murder your soul 
because you wouldn't just think a little bit. How wicked to throw out the purposes of God and help the devil damn the world when a little thought and consideration would have prevented it. What a monster of wickedness you are to be indifferent. Think about the example that you're setting to everybody else, how you're strengthening the hands of the wicked. The angels must think of you as a vile murderer, and even devils, for they can see the evil of your conduct, whether you see it or not. You're worse than an unbeliever because you're more inconsistent. An unbeliever does not profess to believe in God, but you profess to believe in one, and yet you take no notice of him. He professes, the unbeliever, to say that there is no heaven or hell, but you say that you believe in both, and yet you're plunging down to hell. Your sin is more monstrous than unbelief. You're saying, I care for none of these things. I say this indifference is the height of folly and the extreme of wickedness. May God help you to see it. Do you have a soul? A woman was very angry once when I asked her this. What do you mean, she said. I said, I mean what I say. Do you have a soul? She said, do you mean to insult me? Of course I have a soul, as much as you do. Well, I'm glad to hear it. Is it saved? Is my soul saved? No, I don't think that it is. Then how inconsistent for you to be so offended at my asking if you had a soul and in the next breath confess that it wasn't saved. Don't you see what a monstrous folly it is to say that you have a soul and yet never take one hour's serious consideration to know how your soul should be saved? It would be better to believe that you had no soul at all. You would be less consistent and less wicked. My friend, do you have a soul? Will you stand there and tell me that you have a soul and at the same time that you've never taken any time to consider what's going to become of your soul? That you've never faced the great problems of the Bible, of eternity, of judgment? That you've never asked yourself what you are going to do if you die unexpectedly while you have no plan for salvation? And yet you believe that you have a soul. Surely the time past was enough for such folly. You will act like a rational being. You will face the fact of your soul's destiny and settle the question whether you will be saved or lost forever. Will you? I call on you in the name of reason, in the name of God and of Christ, of eternity, to settle the question of your soul, whether it's saved or not. And if you will, let it be saved today. And we call upon you today. Have you been obstinate? We call upon you today to turn with your whole heart to Jesus and to take the time necessary to read the scriptures to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to read 1 John, 
to read Romans, to learn about this gospel of Jesus Christ. Gospel means good news. The gospel is the good news that the kingdom of God is now here. It is in us who have given ourselves utterly over, as Christian did, to go on the journey, to be in the school of the Holy Spirit, to walk with Jesus. I have spoken with so many men and women who, when I raise the issue of, are you saved? Oh, yes, I'm saved. And then back to their worldly stuff. One man, every time I spoke with him, and I visited him often, every time I spoke with him, he was full of all of his excitement about the new piece of equipment that he was just purchasing for his printing company. The new typesetter. The new technology. And yet he would not have converse with me about Jesus. He had no time for that. That man today has gone on to his reward. I'm fearful it will not be much of a reward. Because where he's gone will no doubt be a place where he will constantly think for eternity. And rue the day that he would not take the time from his business, from his pursuit of money, from his pursuit of being somebody important, he would not take the time to humbly bow his head before Jesus and search after him with all of his heart. So how do we do this? Alexander, any suggestions for how we pursue Jesus? Jesus didn't make it complicated. You just have to stop and think. Consider honestly the fact that you are going to die. It's rather sobering. We tend to just push that out of our minds. But we are each going to die one way or another. And then what's going to happen? For me, it's very exciting to think that the person I am now, with all of my skills and talents, I'm going to keep being that person forever, and I'll be able to use all of that energy and excitement and those skills that God has given me for his service in heaven for the rest of forever. It's never going to stop. That's really exciting to me. But if you don't love God, if you don't even really think about God, then that's not exciting to you. And it really just comes down to getting honest with ourselves about the emptiness of our life, about the meaninglessness of a life without God, of looking honestly at how much Jesus loved us to lay down his life for us. Part of what drew you, Alexandra, to Jesus was a great rising up in your heart that said, what is the purpose of my life? 
And if my life has no purpose, then why live it? And you began searching for Jesus, and you didn't even know it was Jesus. You just searched for God. Yes, so if you'll just honestly look at the fact that you're going to die at some point, and everything that you've worked so hard for in this life is going to be parsed out and probably fought over by your relatives, and, you know, three generations from now, your great-grandkids aren't even going to know your name. Well, what are we really living for? It doesn't make sense. But Jesus came to give us healing and restoration now and to restore us to being a child in his family. It's really a beautiful thing. And... I hope that today that if for some reason you've been resisting that because there's something that, you know, you think, oh, I can't do that or it's too hard to be a Christian. Just be, I encourage you to be like Christian in the story of Pilgrim's Progress where he said, look at what's God, look at what God's offering me. This is so much more wonderful and greater than anything I could have here. God really loves you. So I encourage you today, if you are not confident in the salvation of your soul, or if you know that there are things that you're doing that are wrong, that are hurtful, that are hateful, that are against God, that you just come to God with a submissive heart and lay those things down and say, I belong to you. I belong to you, Jesus. And I'll do whatever you want me to do. And then as you read the scriptures, as you pray, as you study, read commentary, you'll start to understand more and more what it is that Jesus wants for you. You don't have to have it all figured out before you start. You start by giving yourself to Jesus, and then he'll teach you what to do. You know, it's, it's so exciting. It's so powerful to recognize that the God of heaven cares about me and he cares about you. And he calls us to simply say to him, I choose you over everything in this world. And I am now going to trust myself in your care. And I will do whatever you tell me to do as I find it in the scriptures and as your Holy Spirit speaks to me. I will walk in obedience to you. I will submit my heart to you, Jesus. There is such joy in that, such freedom in this. Obstinate, according to the sermon we've just read by Catherine Booth, he knew the information. He knew about God. But he did not want to give up his life. He didn't want to say, okay, I'm going to ground the weapons that I've used against God, my, my bitterness, my anger. I'm going to ground the weapons of my own selfish heart. And I'm going to become a Christian. I'm going to follow the way of grace. I'm going to follow the way of humility and humbleness before God. Now, it's not 
going to be possible for you to make yourself a Christian. You make the decision and God gives you the power to become a Christian. It's a supernatural work of grace to be born from above. It's God who does the work in you, but it's you who must combine your will with God's will and say, I need to be changed. I need to be transformed into your likeness, Jesus. In its most basic form, you're saying, I'm not going to live my life for myself. I'm not going to live my life for my parents. I'm not going to live my life for anybody else except for Jesus. My life belongs to Jesus, and I'm going to live my life for Jesus. It's very liberating and freeing. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. And I'm Alexandra Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. We encourage you again to get out and vote today for righteous men and women in your state or district. And if you'd like to be a part of a small fellowship that is earnestly following Jesus like Christian, then I invite you to call us and find directions for how to come and be a part. Call us at 703-489-1785. You can write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, that's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Please visit our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com. You can listen to this message again as well as past messages. And join us again tomorrow from 1 to 2 p.m. for another episode of Pilgrim's Progress. I hope you've sensed today our great concern and love for you. Love especially for those of you who have made the decision to follow Jesus but also love for those of you who are so obstinate. We're praying for you. God bless you. We'll talk to you soon.